0: Hello, and welcome to the Thriving Families podcast. I'm Anna, and this is the podcast which aims to provide a safe and non-judgmental space for us to be able to talk about children and young people with additional support needs. Thriving Families and I are based in the Highlands of Scotland, and we're hoping to connect people to support us in feeling less isolated and being able to recognize that you're not the only one. Hi everyone, and today I am talking about trauma. Now this is a really big topic, and there are there is so much out there on this topic, and I am not an expert on trauma. There are many professionals who and there's hundreds of research and studies and medical professions and neuroscientists and psychologists and psychiatrists, and there's so much on trauma that's available out there. What I am aiming to do today is to kind of think about what trauma is and how it may be. Relevant to when you're parenting or caring for a child with additional support needs So the way that I've put this into perspective is thinking about how an additional support need may create trauma for a child How a parent may suffer from trauma because of the situation and the circumstances around looking after that child how um, There can be um, secondary trauma as a carer okay and how some additional support needs um a trauma could be a trigger or trauma might be a consequence so it's what I'm trying to do is not I'm <laughs> not a foray of knowledge on everything to do with trauma but what I'm going to do is try and think about You know, in those contexts, what might be, what might have caused this trauma, and think about, you know, what does it look like? And then think about how, as parents and carers, anybody who's working with that child with additional support needs, how we can help um, prevent. how to build resilience to help them cope with potential traumas and how we can help people when they're trying to recover from trauma. So that's quite a lot for me to cover actually in a half an hour podcast, but just that's the kind of perspective that I'm taking, <coughs> excuse me, on today's episode. So I think the first thing to do is look at then how a child and child with additional support needs may suffer with trauma. So the first perspective I'm going to look at is when a child suffers from trauma and consequently this may lead to them having additional support needs. So the trauma may be the root of where their needs have grown from. So for instance, a child who suffers a a loss, a death in the family, it's going to be a very traumatic experience. Um, You know, the age of the child may influence how they how they go through this process and what happens and the support network around them So you know we might see an increase in anxiety we may see depression we may see school refusal and we may see self-harm there's I mean everybody grief is a massive process and nobody can ever predict how anybody will cope throughout that but what that means is a child who is in that circumstance for sure has additional support needs and is going to need additional support at that time from everybody in their caring circle to all the support networks and services from education to um, health to anywhere that might have um, an influence on that child and so we can't in that context it's about thinking actually we can't protect people from trauma things happen in our lives and it can be traumatic for some people. You know, trauma is very individually subjective. So for one child, moving house may create a huge amount of trauma because the attachment to that house may be very great for that child, But then for another child, it may not be. The same as with an adult. You know, how we cope with trauma is really individual. And it relates back to our personal history. That's our family history, the relationships we have, our personal brain development, our mental and social and medical well-being. All of these things influence how we cope with trauma. And therefore, that's why trauma is very subjective. In that perspective, as you cannot say, oh, why is somebody... Finding this so difficult, it's just moving house. You know, I've moved house loads of times, it's absolutely fine, just get on with it. And I think that's an issue that we have to address, especially when we're looking at children, because children are, you know, they're young and they need the correct support. And every child is an individual, and their reactions are going to be very different. So if a child suffers from a trauma, you know, we need to be able to put the right needs in place for that child. And a lot of the time, We may not even realise that it's leading on, for example, to a a greater cause of anxiety. Traumas which are maybe more obvious for that a child has experienced, maybe if they're living in a house where there's been domestic violence, um, whether or not there's been some sort of abuse, neglect... Um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, all of these things we go, oh yeah, that's trauma. That child's going to need social and emotional support, possibly medical support, depending on the circumstances. All of these things we tend to recognize, yeah, that's trauma. But we don't generally maybe think of the moving house scenario, the loss of a pet. Um as maybe being quite as traumatic, um, something in school happening that really you know can upset a child and make things quite difficult. Um, so it's about being able to, a child is not necessarily always going to be aware of their triggers, of things that can upset them. Um, and usually those triggers are because of something in your family history. So we need to be very aware that children may be suffering from trauma due to something that's happening in their lives. But if it's happening in our lives as well for us, it's maybe it hasn't been traumatic. So we really need to reframe our thinking on what is um, what is the traumatic event? What's the thing that's creating that trauma that is leading my child to, you know, having panic attacks, to not being able to sleep at night, to wetting the bed? What is the, the, the issue here? And being open and willing to recognize that actually it may be something that you don't necessarily think was that significant in their life but it may well be for them. So a child who has suffered from trauma will have additional support needs. I suppose from a personal perspective I see this because a lot of people don't necessarily think all um, adopted children or all foster children will have additional support needs but they do in the fact that actually even if they have been adopted from birth Okay, that disconnection to the birth mother, maybe um, maybe in the womb there was trauma, all of these things are going to create trauma. And one of my favorite perspectives is that, you know, you may not physically, rem- you may not remember that trauma, but your body will so a child who has for instance in the womb induced drugs that the birth mother has taken for instance possibly drugs and alcohol um the child isn't going to necessarily remember that but their physical body is going to remember that okay and so that is why um triggers for trauma can be very difficult to understand or acknowledge because it's your body remembering things panic attacks uh, kind of can show you this in a little bit because you're physically out of control of your body and you can't calm yourself down and you can be frozen in fear so your body is really aware even sometimes if your head is trying to talk yourself down and your head is trying to be like i know i need to move i know i need to walk i know i need to calm down but i physically cannot do it because your body has gone into a, a response okay so when um, our children suffer from trauma whether, you know, like I said, at any age, from, from being in the womb, to being born, to being taken away from that safety, from not having the attachment, and from medical treatment, maybe that was given, and going into a foster care placement, and then it being, moving on to a different placement, or maybe doing transition into the adoptive family, that is a trauma, You know, it's not, it's yes, in the long term, it's the best interest for the child in that perspective of everybody's working together, but it still happened. We're still taking a child away from the carer who's looked after them, who's loved them, who's nurtured them. And both parties can be supportive of the situation. But the fact is we've still created a trauma. And it is how we support that child and that young person and how we handle that situation, how the relationships and the people around them deal with that and make it the best experience possible. So the trauma is less and less a physical response and is 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 i suppose (laughs) remembered with happy memories as well that can be talked about and can be remembered and that's why transition for a lot of children is really important so there are there are you know lots of perspectives on how trauma can cause an additional support needs there are things like a child being in a car crash won't necessarily um, maybe some children will move on from that very quickly. But for some children, it may cause a lot of nightmares and a lot of fears and a lot of anxieties, and it may turn into everything about transport, yeah? We could have a child who is stung by a bee and has an awful reaction and then develops a very strong phobia of all things that fly, you know, all sorts of insects, and it can cause them, it can create agrophobia. So, you know we have to be really aware how much trauma can influence what an additional support needs of a child and we have to be very reactive in trying to ensure that the whole caring circle is supporting those young people in that situation so if we reverse that then and we think that we have a child who has additional support needs can that create trauma so you know and it it can so if we have a child who has an additional support need due to a medical condition, and um, maybe they have to go through a lot of operations. And if that that can be trauma itself, physical trauma to the body, having to go through these things um, and then, you know, it, the recovery process. And again, it is all about the context and the support and the situation and how it's handled. And that's why it's so important when we're dealing with children with additional support needs that we look at the big picture and why, you know, Every little experience of a child who has additional support needs needs to be a positive experience as as best it can be so that we don't turn um, hospital visits, dental visits, um, traveling down to family or different areas that we don't make them traumatic is that we are trying to create a comfortable supportive environment so it seems as supportive as possible. So for instance, an additional support need, we could have a child who is suffering from autism that is really struggling socially and feels forced constantly to join in, whether it's being forced to join social groups and social clubs and because we think, yeah, this is what they need. They need social engagement. But actually what we can do is upset that child further because we're pushing them out of a comfort zone that actually is distressing them and causing more harm than good so recognizing sometimes that what is our long-term view or our long-term perspective may not be really in the best interests of the child so i think when you're working living caring for a child with additional support needs you have to really think what is in the best interests of the child what is going to um give them the most support they can to encourage their positive brain development to give them comfortable memories to make things accessible to them in the future and there's trauma caused by you know being forced to attend school if it really just isn't the right place for you and and things like that can be very very difficult for a parent or a carer especially because these are just normal things that may be weeded Yeah, if you get up and you've been at school every day and it was fine, maybe didn't love it, but it was great. It's just one of those things you've got to do. And you went to swimming lessons and you went to this and you just got to go up and do it, don't you? You just have to get on with it. Um, And actually, we maybe need to recognize but that was okay for us. But if my child is different than me, if my child, for instance, has some neurodiversities, maybe that isn't exactly what's right for them. Maybe they're happy and content in what they are choosing to do and we need to adapt to them at some point. And yes, I know this is the the real world and we all have to find our correct place in the world and we all have to work with other people, but I don't think it means we have to um, push all of our values onto the people we care for. So we have to, It's life is about compromise and it's about seeing the, what the most comfortable situation is for everybody to be in. So we can partially create trauma sometimes um, or contribute to the trauma if we don't have you know, if we don't take the time to really think about what we're doing and how we're working with our children and young people. And, you know, nobody's perfect. And so a lot of the time, this isn't going to be a deliberate thing that's happening. And a lot of the time, it's not preventable. If, you know, if your child has a medical condition that they're going to need a lot of operations, then they're going to need a lot of operations. And that's an experience that you can't change. What you can do is be there for your child and provide them the support, the love, the nurture, And, you know, one of the biggest things about trauma and recovery is about relationships, is about having someone who you know you are safe with, no matter the situation. And the stronger that those attachment relationships can be, the the better chances of recovery and the less traumatic any experience will feel. So, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be all doom and that this is going to happen. It's, it's just one of those things. So I am then thinking about more from the parent or the carer's perspective to do with trauma. So as a parent, you could suffer secondary trauma. So, for instance, secondary trauma might be um, if your child experiences something, and then they're almost reliving that so much that that counter transparency. You know, you're influenced as well. So you're reliving that constant. You know, negativity yourself as well. And so that can start to have a traumatic effect on you as a person. Um, and that's a really, really difficult thing to recognize and acknowledge. Um, and so it's really important why, as parents and carers, or anybody involved in the caring circle of a young person with additional support needs or a young person who has suffered trauma, is that you're aware of your own physical and mental health is that you're aware of you know what are my triggers how am I feeling you need to be able to identify your feelings you need to be able to let it out sometimes you need to be able to you know do things for yourself you need to have that self-care aspect because um you can suffer secondary trauma and and it's it's really challenging and really difficult and can contribute to things like compassion fatigue that we talked about a few podcasts ago, you know, so it's a really challenging situation. Um, the other aspect could be, um, for instance, a parent or a carer or someone in the caring circle who is suffers a trauma because of the actions of a child with additional support needs. So for instance, a child who um, is struggling and maybe physically attacking the parent or carer and, um, all of these things might create a trauma, could be a very traumatic incident. So it's not a nice thing to think about, but it's the reality of when you're dealing with a child with additional support needs. If you have a child who is quite aggressive, then this could be something that you're having to experience. And there may be particular incidents that create trauma, or it may be, you know, this is the context that you're living in for a very long time. You know, caring for a child with additional support needs, we've talked about it before, can create you know there's high rates of depression amongst carers excuse me got a frog in my throat throat) um high rates of feelings of isolation which can cause high anxiety and feeling very separated from the rest of the world and and all of these things which you know we're you know we're trying to spread the message that you're not alone even if you're listening to this podcast you know I, I might not be in the room with you, but I'm here to say you're not the only person who suffers these feelings. You're not the only person who is struggling to parent or care for a child with additional support needs. There are other people there and please reach out to an organization like Thriving Families or somebody else, whether it be a neighbor or a, you know somewhere else. You need to communicate with other people to try and bring you out of that zone. And that c- does connect me really back into um, how do we, how do we recover from trauma or how do we prevent trauma? In preventing trauma, I suppose you can't prevent events happening. You can't prevent things happening in your life. You know, there are some things we can be prepared for and we know things are going to happen. We know that people are going to die eventually. We know that, you know, people, you know, we know as humans that we will as well. We understand the life cycle. We understand that accidents happen. We understand that illnesses happen. But does it, it doesn't hurt any less when it happens. So the only thing we really can do is be very aware of our own social and emotional well-being and to ensure that we're building our resilience as an individual as we go. So I'd like to try and think about, you know, some practical things about what we could do to maybe try and build our resilience, both for us as parents and carers, but also for our children, especially for children with additional support needs. What could building that resilience look like? Um, And then how can we use the same kind of skills to help ourselves recover from trauma? So I think it's quite similar, really, if we think about building our own resilience to kind of cope through traumas in life that anybody may experience, whether for yourself or for your family or for your child, and the things that you might do in recovery. Um, Or if you're supporting someone trying to go who's recovering from a trauma. So I think the biggest part of it um, in building your resilience is building your overall perspective as a person is taking care of yourself physically and mentally you know lots of people think self-care as a whole you know f- faffy thing and it's not it's about physically looking after our body and mentally looking after our body and being able to understand what our body feeling and what our, our mind is telling us to do and so building things into your life that make that easier for you to handle and if you are aware of who you are as a person and you can identify when you are struggling or when you're physically run down if you can identify in that you can look after yourself better so finding ways to take care of yourself so that might be in um, physically you know making sure that you're walking making sure that you're looking after you know your Brushing your teeth and you're washing your face and you're cleaning your hair and the basics things, you know, basically looking after your physical body as well as maybe doing some small types of exercise, as well as doing things which are good for our own mental well being. So, you know, taking some time to create what is meditation for you. That might be just going for a walk or it might be reading a book, it might be actually meditating in a more spiritual way. It's whatever it is that helps you feel like you are who you need to be so building your physical taking care of your physical and mental wellness is so important and a part of that can be kind of what we might phrase as healthy thinking you know having a positive outlook you know being optimistic Um it can be quite hard sometimes if we go through little periods where we become quite pessimistic about things and so I, I quite often talk about appreciating the little moments and you know Looking at how the rain, you know, how the rain's dripping on that window on that day. Looking at the patterns that the frost is making when it's too cold to go outside. Appreciating how beautiful the greenery is outside because of all that rain. You know, it is about appreciating the little moments. You know, the the meltdowns in my house this morning, just around breakfast time. But then we had a really lovely five minutes when I got to plait my daughter's hair. And that five minutes made up for about the the 45-minute meltdown of screaming, which it's it's not too bad Um, so it's about you know finding what are the little moments in your day that what are the little moments that we really appreciate and really valuing and remembering what that feels like what does that feel like and the next time you're really struggling with a situation try and get back to what that feeling was I made a really cute little video a couple of weeks ago actually of my son reading to my daughter and they were lying in bed and there's this little action my son was stroking my daughter's arm without really he wasn't really even aware he was doing it and it was so beautiful to watch and it was like such gorgeous little bonding that probably lasted and i was quite impressed with this it probably lasted about seven minutes and i think i kind of snuck my phone and probably filmed about 30 seconds of it and I think about 10 minutes later, there was pure meltdown and stuff was being thrown around the house and it was absolute chaos for a few hours and maybe wasn't many other things in that day that felt so great. But I was like, let's watch this video. I actually pulled my husband into the kitchen the other day and was like, let's watch this video. <laughs> you know, let's let's remember. And it is about, you know, having that healthy thinking and appreciating the moment. And, and that is, it makes you smile and smiling is good for your health. So it's about, you know, being able to be aware of the little things that you can do that look after your mental health but also the little things that you can do to look after your physical health and, and some of us are better than other. I'm better at looking after my mental health and my physical health I think and my husband's much better at the other way around so we should in theory balance each other out and that makes you more resilient because that makes you more able to get into your own head and be able to support yourself to recover if you do experience from trauma The other big thing that is about, you know, building up your own personal resilience is they call it building connections and it's basically about relationships and making sure you have connections that are positive in your influences for you and not feeling guilty if you break an in a relationship that isn't a healthy relationship for you to be in. It is about, you know, having positive influences for you that make you feel good, that are worthwhile for you. You know, having those connections in your life are really important. And seeking those relationships where you need them. So seeking out, um, groups to support you where that are appropriate and that are relevant. So I used to sing, um, I, I enjoy singing. It makes me feel happy. I really like the physical, um, feeling of singing and I, I uh, just like music a lot. So, um, I, I went through, I sang at choirs through school and that was one of my favorite things about school probably was going, was being part of the choir. Um, and you know, I've done that as an adult as well. And that's something that that connection to a group didn't have to be people who were the same age as me or had any interests. And actually I only saw them once a week at, at rehearsal. Um, in choral and you know but it was really important to me it was really significant and it helped me feel connected and it helped me feel purposeful and being part of a group can really do that and it can be a really nice connection as seeing somebody else who has a similarity in what they're doing you know we think about people who go to a support group whether that's a, a a recovery group for example an addiction an AA group or whether it's a group um you know uh, a men's shed you know all of these things are really appropriate groups that really help people that can be really defined that and it could be that you go to a zumba class or you join a spinning group or or whether it's a walking group, whatever it is, it's really important to make connections and feel purposeful and feel you have a role and feel there's people to connect with. And it doesn't mean that you have to be best friends with everybody, but it's about connecting with other humans and connecting in a way that's really positive for you. And it goes back to what I said about finding purpose for yourself and some of us find purpose in you know we feel purposeful every day we feel we get out of bed because actually we want to help get our children up and we want to be able to go and do our job and whatever it is that we're having to do that feels purposeful for us you know and if you don't feel you have a purpose you can really really struggle so knowing what your purpose is for yourself or feeling it they don't have to be the same things it will change throughout your life you know what's my purpose at the moment what's getting me out of bed at the moment you know it might be because you need to take the dog for a walk or you um, go and feed somebody's cat for them whilst they're at work whatever that purpose is for you at that point in your life will change but it's what you need to keep going and the more purposeful you feel I think the more resilient you are because the more recognized you are the more the more positive about you are as yourself as a being And as humans, we generally set ourselves goals. We're we're quite goal orientated as humans. We go to school. We're going to finish school. We're going to get a job. We're going to target ourselves to do this. We book a wedding. We're, you know, we're quite goal orientated. We're going to save up to pay for our holiday. You know, we're quite goal orientated, and I think that helps keep us quite organised as humans and quite on on a level. So if you can do a bit of that, sometimes that can help as well. But you know, you can also go into the category of over over goal setting yourself, and especially with a child it's about having realistic goals and supportive goals and, and not goals for goals sake so all those types of things and accepting life for what it is essentially if you are aware that you know life isn't a life isn't a fairy tale Life isn't perfect. Nobody's life is perfect, no matter what it may seem. We all have challenges. We all have issues. We all struggle um, just in different aspects in different ways. And, and, and doing some of those things can really help you build your own personal resilience. And then if there is a trauma in your life or there is a trauma in a child's life, then the same things can really help recovery. So... Acknowledging that a trauma has happened is a massive, massive thing. And if somebody denies that trauma has happened, it, it's just going to stop any, any aspect of recovery to occur. We have to accept what has happened. Whether it's us personally, we have to accept that this trauma happened to me. It happened and I can't change that. Or we need to help our child understand that this happened. We need to be able to verbalize it. We need to be able to talk about it. We need to be able to acknowledge it. It's happened. It's real. It's occurred. And and if you deny something and bury it away, you aren't allowing yourself to accept and move on because you can't move on unless you've accepted it. It's very, very difficult. And it's something that trauma generally will come back to you and um, throughout your life, you know, memories of trauma or memories, like I said, from a physical feeling to, you know, putting you into fight and flight mode when you don't even expect it. So that's why accepting that's there is so important. And um, if there's been a trauma, then it, yes, this priority of being able to look after your physical health and look after your mental health is so important. You know, we all know that something awful's happened. You know, we may want to just lie in bed and not get out of bed you know, but we know that actually the best thing to do is at some point in time is we need to get up and we need to take a shower and we need to start physically looking after ourselves. And as a parent or a carer, that might feel really challenging to be able to um, support your young person back into encouraging them. We need to we need to look after you. We need to look after you physically um, and then there's other things that we need to do to look after you mentally as well. So if you already have good habits, if you already have good experiences of looking after your physical and mental health, then this is gonna put you in a better context and a better situation to help recover from trauma and to help you support your young person to recover from trauma. So if they're already confident about talking about their emotions, about explaining how they feel, then obviously it's going to make it much easier if there was something traumatic in their future. Building new connections, again, because we can become quite isolated after something from trauma, maybe because we didn't have a choice, maybe someone's been hospitalized, maybe they've been separated from people, um, refugees, for instance. But when you are in that situation, you need to start building those connections back again, building relationships with other people building those connections um, and joining groups that possibly may help you. Again, support groups are a great um, thing and kind of for a child, extracurricular groups that really home into them. It may need to be online, it may need to be virtual, but it can be face-to-face as well. It's whatever is more appropriate. But the more we can make those connections and build relationships again, the more faith and the more trust and we can build back in humanity and recognising And it goes back into us feeling accepted and us feeling needed and us feeling purposeful in life. So once someone is able to make those connections, they are starting to find a purpose because they are starting to attend these groups or to have conversations with these people. And so they're starting to recognize some self-worth again and some self-confidence in their own ability. Seeking help, medical professional help. Yes, getting actual qualified people who can understand your situation. And and it might be difficult if there's limited resources, you know, but you have to do the best you can. Getting medically licensed, you know, health support is can be so significant. You know, in the in the UK we are like a little bit more like, ooh, you're gonna go see a counselor or a therapist. Ooh, there must be something really wrong. You know, in the States, therapy and counselling is just part of life you know there's nothing wrong with it we are all human and we all need to be able to express ourselves and we all need to be able to process our emotions and to go and seek out some professional medical help is is very brave and is very strong and is really going to help you. It's going to help you in all aspects of your life because you're going to know who you are a lot more because you're going to be much more self-aware. And self-awareness is a huge aspect of developing your personal resilience and being therefore to be more able to recover if something traumatic does happen. It's all about building our own healthy thinking, as I mentioned before. So as a parent or a carer, How do you do this for your child? Well, you have to learn to do this for your child on their terms and in their language. So um, a lot of it might be through play and through activities and through fun and and through just the types of things that you would do as a parent or someone in that caring circle. But it has to be appropriate to your child. And, you know, for a child who has complex additional support needs, it may be a lot of, you know, physical um, cuddling and safety and being there and sensory experiences and for a child with ADHD it may be a lot of you know let's a a lot of physical well-being to try and get through that to burn up that cortisol and to be able to support that child in a way that they need before they can really start to address that mental well-being you know for for a lot of children, it may be a lot of one-to-one playing, a lot of art. It's about treating that child how they need to be treated. So, you know, if, if you want a six-year-old who wants to be um, cuddled and nurtured like a baby, cuddle and nurture them like a baby. That's what they need right now. So it's about seeing what does my child need to be who they need to be to recover from what they've experienced. And children with additional support needs are going to be no different in that than any other child or an adult, you know? Who knows what it's like, you know? I'm sure there's moments in everybody's life when, if you've had a mum in your life that, you know, as, a, as an adult, no matter how old you are, everybody wants to go and have a hug from that motherly figure, okay? Everybody wants to feel that safe comfort that nurtured feeling that hopefully most people found within somebody in their life we all need that sometimes so what we need to do is just give a young child or an older child what they need at that point in time so trauma I I don't know if I've like what (laughs) this whirlwind vision of have I kept to what I said I was going to talk about it's a massive issue there's loads of amazing reading out there there are loads of amazing books um if if you are interested in learning about trauma there has been a huge amount of progress in the last few years especially in talking about um early and uh, early childhood trauma and aces and it's a great topic to kind of look into and to read about and and to it gives you a, a a huge understanding of um, brain development and, and children with additional support needs and, and aspects of humanity. And my recommendation is probably Bruce Perry. Um, I find a lot of his stuff is very, very accessible to read um, and and really kind of goes into the importance about people and people and people's lives and supporting others and the importance of relationships and and, and really providing for children in the way in which they need to be provided to recover. So, um, thanks for that, and I will be back soon. Thanks for listening today, and remember you can find us at www.thrivingfamilies.org.uk and you can also follow us and find out any updates on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.